0: So, it's already the 28th, 7th of December. Um, This Christmas break was really a work break where I had a long list of things that I wanted to do. And one of those things was to record this podcast. So, today is the last day of the Christmas holiday, and I have to motivate myself to do this. That being said, I'm really looking forward to using this episode to recap some of the top five things that happened in the last year. And also, I'm turning 30 next month. So, it was a good time too for me in this podcast to go over some top five moments from my life. And I'm super excited to also reflect on some things that happened in the last year and come up with a list of new things to do or to not do in 2023. So, first off, I want to Recall some of the top five moments in Thailand, my most recent trip. Thailand is a destination that I've been dreaming of for probably a year and a half, ever since I watched this Thai show called I Promise You the Moon. And before that, I told Sunset about you. So I told Sunset about you is based in Phuket and it has all these beautiful beach and blue sky scenes so I made that top of my list Um, but I promise you the moon came out this year and it's based in Bangkok so that made me flip a little bit and I was more looking forward to seeing Bangkok because of the way it was portrayed in the show so moment number one I was on my way to this onsen and after this was like the last day in Bangkok, and I had gotten used to kind of their alleys and their small streets. Um, It might look a little sketchy for people who are not used to it, but I do remember in Vietnam too, we had a lot of these alleys, uh, what we call ma and ngạc, which again, look a little dark, um, a little shady. But it's actually quite safe and it's where people live and the way they access their homes. So after a few days, I thought I was all good and I have accustomed to these small streets. So this is around like 10.30 p.m. I decided to go for a walk on my own to the newest onsen. I think it was about a 20-minute walk. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just take shortcuts through small streets because i don't really feel like i need to stick to the arterials anymore and then the most unexpected thing happened (laughs) in one of these small streets i got surrounded and almost trapped by like these three big dogs and i don't really know where they came from they probably belonged to one of the house owners nearby but i didn't see any owner and i didn't see any humans it was like super quiet at this time of night and then these dogs just, like, came up to me and started barking. And like because there were three of them, so they, like, flanked me on different sides. And I was really starting to freak out because in my Krav Maga uh, self-defense classes, I've never been taught how to deal with animals trying to kill you. And to be fair, I don't really know if these dogs really wanted to hurt me or, you know, they were just kind of in a mood to make friends But they were barking so loud, and I was worried that, like, you know, one of them was gonna bite me, and the other two were gonna, like, take over and kill me. Anyway, luckily, finally, a car started to approach us, and the dogs were scared of the car, so they ran away. But I had the scariest moment of my entire trip just because of these three dogs. Moment number two I finally get to the onset, and this is a good moment because. Uh, I got to do kind of the thermal circuits that they had recommended. Um, I don't remember the exact order now, but it was a alternating between hot and cold baths. And the hot baths had a bubble, tea, or sorry, a bubble bath one and um, one that was infused with rosemary or some kind of herb. So it was super relaxing. And I didn't realize this before when I was in the onsen in Tokyo that if you try to keep yourself in the cold bath for as long as you can, which currently for my record stands at about five seconds, and then when you switch from the cold to the hot bath, you really feel like your skin is being released. It's a very interesting experience. I don't think I've felt that with anything else. It's almost like you feel like you're about to burn, but you actually just release a bunch of like stress in your body. So... That was super nice, it was so calm, relaxing. On my way back to the hotel from the onsen, I actually felt a little high. Like I felt like all my worries were really far away and like I could just float in this current air that surrounds me. So super recommend if you ever get to go. The third moment that I really enjoyed is going to this drag queen show and it's this tiny little bar in Siloam. Um, the street itself, that the party street that we were on, had a lot of big bars. And a lot of them had live music. But the specific bar was tiny. It's probably about five or six meters in width. Maybe I'm exaggerating. But it's small. I don't think um, it will meet any of the building codes in Canada. And the ground floor uh, has the bar and a balcony to the second floor. And that's kind of the stage. So everything was miniature size. And I just loved the energy of the room when it was all packed and people were very anxious to start seeing the drag queens come out. And when she finally appears, the atmosphere just explodes and people were so excited to get their night going. Um, So... I didn't feel suffocated at all. It was the most exciting experience. Um, Finally, in a totally different um, end of the spectrum, um, one of my favorite moments as well is getting a canoe in Fang'a Bay in Phuket. So we were on this fast boat that takes us from the harbor to one of the islands. And the boat itself was... Um, Not too small, but it wasn't like the most intimate. Uh, It's really loud because it's a fast boat. So the motor kept running and you can't really hear the water at all. Um, It's also, uh, it has a roof and like the side panels, so you can't really see the ocean that much. But once we got to this island and we got transferred into a canoe that only fit two people at a time, uh, it felt so much more intimate with the ocean. I could touch the water. I could actually hear the small waves that come and hit our boat and, and how the water splashes when the person canoeing is, uh, touched, is moving the paddles. I just felt quiet compared to when I was on the big boat and that really helped me relax. And the water was so clean, the the air had a bit of a cool breeze, and though even though it was sunny, it just felt like I was free to move around anywhere in the bay. So yeah, that was Thailand—a mix of all the urban, fun, party stuff in Bangkok and more of the relaxing things that we did in Phuket. about the last 30 years though I've had a lot of chances to travel and I'm doing a project right now where I create a video of all the fun things I've done in the last 30 years and the thing that jumps out at me the most is just how many places I've been able to visit and just the excitement it brings me each time when I plan a trip, I go on the trip, and then even just recording the memories of the trip, that whole process makes me feel so rejuvenated and stimulated. So I hope that in my 30s, I get to go to even more places. Fingers crossed that my health does not deteriorate in my 30s. So I want to kind of recap my top five travel memories of the last decade. Travel in my teens as well, but... You know, traveling as a teenager is just more like sticking to your parents and not being able to do much on your own. So number one, this was probably 2016, uh, around Christmas actually. So almost exactly six years ago, I was in Tokyo for my graduation trip. However, I did not know if I would graduate at that time yet because we had one final exam. I think it's called steel and timber design. And I was going into the final with like a 51% average. So the final itself was hard. And I came out of the final not knowing exactly if I would pass the course. And I already prepared like this long email um, that I was going to send to the department head. Just like begging for whatever I need to do to pass the course and graduate. Um, So... In Tokyo, we rented this um, this internet hotspot and I had internet with me wherever I went. So I tried to leave all the worries of that steel and timber design final in Canada, but it did follow me around Tokyo until I think it was like the second or third day I was on the trip. And I remember specifically, I was on the subway with my sister where I was just like checking furiously to see if the marks were out. And I found out I got a 66% in still and timber design. So maybe I sold my soul to Satan. I don't know. The 66 is a little suspicious. But I passed and I knew that I had my degree and I could start working. And that was the best moment of my 20s. The second travel memory uh, for me is just seeing Russia because Russia has a reputation, good and the bad, so I wasn't sure what my experience in St. Petersburg would be. But we went on this tour, and everything was so well organized, so I was quite relaxed, and I didn't have to worry about much. And just seeing the palaces that were draped in gold and everything was so glamorous and so shiny. I realized the Russians were really rich, like the Tsar back in the 1800s or whatever, the aristocrats, they really, really wanted to show off to visitors or whoever that they were the richest. So they put a lot of effort into their palaces. Um, And just like their obsession with gold, I guess it is influenced by the French and the British as well. Um, I was also really impressed because, you know, Russia has gone through a lot of historical changes political changes and somehow the palaces were kept mostly intact. So good on you Russia for having the most beautiful palaces and preserving them. The third moment was in Mexico and we had spent most of our time in the city itself so it was a very urban trip but on the last day we went to a historical site. I think it was about two hours drive from the city. And we were given a bunch of time to climb the pyramids. Uh, I think there was like one big one that was connected to a smaller one. So Sergio, my friend and I decided to climb the big one. Um, The parents had kind of given up at like the second level, but we kept going to the top. And it was a nice moment for me because we were just able to touch uh, the stones and the bricks and being on top of the pyramid looking down, you kind of realize that this view used to be reserved for only the rich or probably most important person. And I can only imagine what it was like, I guess, in the medieval times. Probably only the priest or the king or maybe the leader of the village or the city were able to get to this height. And now it's open to anyone. Anyone who's a wood body can climb up there. Um, Also, just thinking about how they probably built this with some kind of desire to get as high as they can. Like For them, at that time, this was the highest vantage point that they can get to. But now humans have seen the world from much, much higher points. We've been in space. Um, even normal people can go on a plane and see the world from like way up high. The view isn't that impressive as much as just recognizing how much we've changed as a species. Going from this is the highest we can be to this is just a nice day for a tourist. Okay so the fourth moment is not exactly strictly a travel moment but I would like to include in this list these are the summer days that I've spent in Victoria and after living here for almost two years I still feel like I'm a bit of a tourist in the city. Uh, It's partly because I live downtown and I'm very close to other tourist spots so I'm always reminded that, you know, people pay a lot of money to come here. This year, I've tried to appreciate the city I live in a bit more. And I realize that somewhere in Victoria is probably the best and cheapest place I can be. It's super quiet in the evenings because a lot of shops close at around 4 or 5. So even though the sun is still out at 6 or 7, Everything is quiet and I can take a stroll downtown without being bothered or having to fight tourists for the view. The harbor is surrounded with the boats and the water is super nice and I found this quiet trail that kind of takes me along the water. Unlike the seawall in Vancouver, this path is only pedestrians. So I feel like I have the whole place to myself and it's my secret hideout spot. A lot of locals also take this route, and you get to escape from the tourists for a change. Also, just taking long walks to the beach. I'm about 25 minutes from the beach, and the beach itself is a long stretch, so it depends on where I end up, if it's like Ogden Point um, or Clover Point or even further. It's just always a relaxing Peaceful and solitary experience at the beach for me. So I, I love it. Finally, this is probably my best city, well, European city at the moment. But I just remember how many times I've visited Berlin and just enjoying and appreciating what the city has to offer. I think Berlin is super underrated. Like here among my colleagues and the urbanist conversation. People love to talk about Copenhagen, London, Paris, or Amsterdam, the cities that have made drastic moves to include cycling in their city planning, which I applaud. But not a lot of people talk about Berlin, and I really, really appreciate the way the city has developed. To a lot of people, Berlin is like a bit of an ugly city, just because the buildings and not that impressive. There's not really a distinct Berlin style. Like if you think of Amsterdam, you can picture all those like small, colorful houses. But when you think about Berlin, it's these big industrial looking apartment buildings. But what they do really well is it's so easy to walk and take transit because it the whole city feels like a bunch of villages that are connected by 24 hour public transit. So wherever you stay, and these are just from my experience visiting my friend David, who has lived in different parts of the city, you can get access, like walking distance access to pharmacies, grocery stores, community centers, the gym, the subway, within like 10 minutes. So it's really built up this system of hubs And you can stay within your hub to get all of your daily needs. And to get outside of your hub, it's also easy if you have a metro ticket. And what I really, really appreciate is that 24-hour transit. Because as my friend David said, it's probably more important to have the system running at night. Because then people can rely on it. If they see a bus running at 3 a.m., even though the bus is empty it's still good for people to see because they know they can always rely on that bus to get home. Whereas in Vancouver or even worse, Victoria, the buses end at like one or two in the morning. And then after that, you're kind of left on your own to deal with whatever to get yourself home. And that's why people cannot, people just don't have that option, right? I used to work for SafeWalk and I got off work at 2 a.m. The last bus leaves UBC at like 210. So if I ever work overtime or there was just whatever reason that I couldn't get catch the bus exactly at 2 o'clock in the morning, 10 minutes, then I'm kind of screwed. So for Berlin, what I really love is just being able to know for sure that you have your way home, no matter what time of the day. What I also really enjoyed about my 20s is just being able to learn a lot of different things. I started dance classes and violin class and more recently I've tried Krav Maga, Muay Thai, boxing and I started learning Python on my own. In my early 20s I also did karate and I just really enjoy learning new things. There's always people in whatever field you choose to learn, no matter what it is, who have been doing it for a long time, and they've come up with their own system. They have their own wisdom, and learning from these people is always inspiring. So I also want to use this podcast to recap some of kind of the top five learning moments in my twenties. Unfortunately, none of these include anything I learned at UBC, and I have my own complaints about the university system. Now that I'm older and I've had great teachers, looking back to my experience at UBC, I think the biggest obstacle for learning there is just a very strict timeline and the amount of information that they have to meet. So for example, like the engineering degree, there's a mandate on what kind of material the graduate needs to know. So the university is pressured to teach as much as they can in the four or five years that the student is there. So you end up with many, many students who are just overloaded with information and they're not really giving any chance or any time to reflect on what they learn. So that's what I'm doing today for myself. I'm giving myself a chance to reflect on some of the things I've learned. So number one, this was an exercise that my dance coaches did for us and it kind of completely blew my mind. So this is how they did it. They made us dance solo with my partner, of course. And then everyone else in the class would sit on the side and watch us. So it's like dancing at a competition, but solo. And my classmates would be taking down notes on the things that they liked about the dancing and the things they didn't like, things that, that we could improve on. So... Even though it's not a real competition, you know, you have that pressure of, like, oh, people are watching and they're taking notes and they're criticizing you. So we did that for every single couple. And then my teacher would take all the paper from everyone. And then she started to read off the paper. But before she actually read anything, she took the whole stack of paper and she ripped them into pieces and threw them in the trash. And we, everyone was just like, the jaws just dropped. And then she said, this is the last time I want to teach today, which is don't give a shit about what others think of your dancing. And I think this is probably one of the most important lessons because dancing is so subjective and it's so personal. So if you carry kind of the weight of your insecurity or the need to please other people onto the dance floor, It just really bogs you down and it's easier said than done. Of course, the reason that we dance and we compete is to impress people, is to get people's approvals, but we can't forget that the reason we dance is that we love it and that we enjoy it and that we're having fun. So thank you to my coach, Gloria, for giving us that lesson. The second learning moment uh, that I really treasure is actually quite recent. It was in the last two weeks. I went to Krav Maga, which is self-defense, and the trainer was going through just more basic things. And then in the second half of the lesson, he came out with this idea and said, okay, now let's one person will stand in the middle and they will close their eyes. So you're the one defending yourself and you have your eyes completely blind. And then... Each person in the class would come up and try to attack blind person with one move. Like, this is not like sparring. You know, very, very slow and controlled. And then the person who has their eyes closed has to kind of figure out their way to get out of a situation or protect themselves. So, for example, uh, I was in the middle with my eyes closed and then one person came up and put their hands around my throat. And then I had to figure out, well, what do I do now? <laughs> so just in that moment, even though it's not fast and it's not uh, harmful, like no way like you can get killed by any of this, it still triggers your brain to go into that defense mode, which is what you need when you are you're self-defending. So it kind of gets your brain to be both fast and creative. Like, okay, I can't see what can I feel? What is my target? Am I going to go for their wrist or their eyes or what joints I'm going to attack to get out of this chokehold? And that was a very, very good exercise because it completely changes the way you think about fighting. Like if in a normal class where we do kickboxing or Muay Thai, you kind of know what the target is. You know your opponent's uh, head and body and you know kind of where you want to kick them whether or not you can reach those targets is a different question but you know what you're looking at but when you're defending yourself when you're taken completely by surprise and it could be that it's dark outside and you don't know what this person looks like or where they're coming from it's even more pertinent that you are ready to react to whatever so that was a scary exercise, but I think it was worth it in just mentally training oneself to be alert and be ready. The third exercise is related to violin. And I would say this is one of the more boring, methodical, systematic exercises. This is one of the chavik finger exercises. My, when my teacher introduced this to me, I thought it was too breezy because if you look at the music sheet, it's just the same patterns of notes over and over. So you, you do one, two, three, and then three, two, four, and then you just keep repeating that for like an entire page. So when I was introduced to this, I kind of scoffed at the exercise and I didn't really want to do it, honestly. I was like, this this is not fun. It doesn't sound like music. I'm never going to perform this. Why would I do this? But she really, really convinced me to stick with it. And then along the way, she kept giving me more hints and more guidance on what to improve on next. And it turned out to be one of the most important exercises in improving my skills because it trains the finger dexterity and this is also the exercise when I realized the importance of practicing and repeating until you forget that you can do it it's not you practice until you can do it it's until it's so in your body and your muscle memory that you're not even thinking about it anymore so The way my teacher taught me is when you look at the music bar, you're not reading individual notes anymore. You're kind of recognizing the shape of the bar, kind of watching how the notes progress. And then you just let your muscle memory take over. That kind of also gave me a brand new appreciation for all those professional musicians. Like no matter what music instrument, they have probably practiced like thousands and thousands of times just to get to a point where they can be on stage and many of them don't even have the music sheets in front of them and they're just playing, letting their body do what they've trained themselves to do. I think this applies to dances too, or actually any martial arts, but this specific finger exercise, which was so focused on like some of the smaller muscles in my body and being very picky about precision was the best exercise to help me appreciate this aspect. So the fourth lesson that um, I really appreciate is from karate. And this one I had to learn a bit of the hard way. But if you've ever been to a karate class, you have to ki every time you punch or even defend yourself. And my sensei, Mike, he would come up with these very like high-intensity, high-paced exercises that are partnered based and both you and your partner have to be ki the whole time. So for example, one exercise he would make us do is you partner up with someone, they kick to your head, and you have to dodge, so it's squatting, just very intense and one right after the other you don't really have time to think so you're just kicking other person's dodging and then every time you kick you have to ki every time you dodge you also have to ki like the whole class just sounded like a shabbing fest and then i think we would do 10 and then switch to the other person who kicks and then sometimes you would do it to like 50 so you know you're getting 50 kicks and 50 squats Um, the most important thing is that shouting, that ki-ai. And if we ever forget to ki-ai, he will make us do like (laughs) push-ups, And that's the punishment for not shouting. And uh, this is something I didn't know that I would miss until I did other forms of, um, exercises and martial arts that don't have this shouting component. The shouting really brings out your strength fighting spirit it gets you into this mental state of being ready with your body and your mind it also transfers your energy to the other person so if other students in the class hear other people shouting they also get into this mental state of being ready to use your body um then boxing or muay thai think they would breathe so there's a lot of like (sighs) And that kind of sound, but I wasn't reminded of this until I did Krav Maga, and the the trainer would say, if someone's attacking you, make sure you yell and you scream and you shout. Mm -hmm. One thing you attract attention from others, but the most important thing is you're scaring your attacker away. And that's when I remembered, oh yeah, in karate we used to do this. That was a memory that I wish I didn't forget. So, thank you Sensei Mike for always enforcing this eye in class finally the there's a lesson that i would consider the funniest that i've ever had this is again one of gloria's ideas so she would make us dance rounds a couple of different variations but the one that i remember the most is that she would make us laugh as loud as we can while dancing like just the whole time With your partner just going, ha, 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 ha. And would make sure that everyone was laughing at the top of their lungs. And I know this sounds super stupid. And the whole thing just looks very ridiculous. But what she was trying to get us to do is not take ourselves so seriously. Just being able to loosen up a little bit. Because in competition, it's easy to tense up. And to not express with your face and not put on a performance. You tend to get very sucked into demonstrating technique or being very worried about making the wrong steps or making a mistake or accidentally hurting your partner. So she really wanted to remind everyone in the class that there is this component of performance and having fun and dancing as well. Another variation of the same exercise is she would make us dance and then Once the song is over, we all have to turn around and sing the Canadian Anthem. I think she's done this like once or twice. And this has a bit of a different uh, purpose. It is to get us to switch between being focused and being relaxed and then back right into being focused as quickly as we can. There's a lot of times when we compete that, There's something wrong, like music suddenly cuts off or there is a sudden pause in the competition for whatever reason. Lots of distracting things, like maybe your ex-boyfriend shows up at the competition and so you're very distracted. Hasn't happened to me, but I'm sure that is the case for some people. So just being able to switch very quickly from doing something else to being completely focused and ready to dance. That's a skill that also needs to be trained. So looking back at 2022, if I could change one thing about myself last year, I think it is to do with managing expectations. And it's not about setting expectations high or low. It was that I was always obsessed with tracking, with metrics, with beating myself yesterday. And I think this was also a result of following too many fitness influences on Instagram, whose motto is, you just need to beat yourself yesterday. And it comes from a good place, really. It's about focusing on your own progress and not comparing yourself to others. But the way that some of these posts phrase this progress is too linear. And humans are not linear. We have down days and up days. And we have streaks. And then we have periods of rest. Most of the time, we need an alternating scheme between pushing and relaxing. So I was super obsessed with all these posts so actually in 2020 during the pandemic I created the system where I would have an excel sheet and I would track how many hours that I spent each day on doing something quote-unquote productive and at that time productive to me meant either practicing dancing or violin or reading or doing um, physical exercise like the things I deemed to be useful And it, again, it came from a good place. I wanted to motivate myself to do things that improve my abilities and not just, you know, watch Netflix all the time. But over time, it became this expectation that if I don't meet the same number of hours of productivity, like from yesterday, then I have failed. It's like, okay, if I read for five hours yesterday and today I only read for four hours, then I'm getting worse as a reader and then I would get so frustrated when suddenly there's a drop in the number of hours that I put into productive activities and it took me a like a while to realize that you know my lifestyle has changed like moving from Vancouver to Victoria now I'm on the ferry almost every weekend that's five hours each day of no traveling which I didn't have time for before. Um, I'm also learning new things now, so learning German, learning Python, boxing, and martial arts. The system of tracking just doesn't apply the same, and there are also creative things that I want to do that is not necessarily productive all the time. Like, this year, I made myself an advent calendar for next Christmas. And that process required a lot of creativity because I had bought this uh, kinder chocolate advent calendar and I kept the box as my advent calendar um, for next year. And each day has a different size. So there were like small boxes and big boxes. And I had to find gifts myself that fit into these different spots, I guess. That required a lot of creativity. Like I was thinking, oh, what would I like in a year? But it also has to be small enough, about like three centimeters in diameter. And that the whole process was stimulating. It was fun. It was challenging. And it required a lot of creativity. It was productive. By not giving myself the flexibility to explore new things. You know, if my definition is strictly like these five things that can be counted towards my daily metric, then obviously I'm not giving myself any encouragement to try anything other than those five things. So this year was really about recognizing that and also acknowledging to myself that spending time exploring new experiences, reflecting, and even spending time failing is part of progress. I remember one afternoon I was working on a Python mini project and after two hours I actually broke my code because I was trying to write my code in a different way or structure it differently but it broke because I was probably missing something. So as per my old definition of progress I would have gone, gotten backwards right because I went from a fully functioning code to something that failed. But if you Look at it from the grand scheme. I actually learned a lot through that failed code. Oh, this doesn't work. Or, okay, I can see how this function could be useful for something else, but not this particular project. So all of that cannot be tracked with just numbers or just that simple counting of hours. And again, progress is not linear. So... I wish I learned that lesson earlier. I would have saved myself a lot of frustrating days, but I'm glad that I've made it to the other side. There was one scenario this year as well. That was so hard that I could not make a decision. So I let someone else make it for me. And this was a tough thing to reflect on because I always pride myself in being so independent and strong wrong-willed and always taking things into my own matter. And that has to do with dance. Earlier in this year, I was debating whether or not I should quit dancing. I felt really sad that I wasn't achieving some things that I wanted. Again, relating back to what I just discussed about linear progress. And when I don't see any visual improvements in my dancing, then I feel like I'm not making any progress, even though it is progress, just in a different definition. Um, I also was traveling a lot, not just the ferry travel, but also international travel and going to cities for different competitions. So the amount of time that I spent towards dancing, but not practicing has increased. Like we would fly to Toronto, for example, for a weekend, then that's two days of traveling, even though it's not two days of practicing. So there are all these like different factors compared to the 2020 to 2021 period that I had to dedicate time and resource to. And then I really started to wonder if it was worth it. like All this money and time and fatigue and disappointment is it really worth us this dancing. And I just couldn't make up my mind if I wanted to quit dancing or not. So I kind of delegated that decision to my dance partner without actually telling him that that was what I was doing. But I told myself, okay, if my dance partner ever quits or he stops dancing or he drops the ball, like if he misses competition, I'm just going to stop dancing. That was going to be my end point. And wow, he did not do any of those things. He was always on time. He always got to the competition. He was always mostly ready, except for the time he forgot his bow tie. He always showed up to lessons and he's always just wanting to learn more and being very self-critical and always looking to dance more. So in a way, he made the decision for me to keep dancing because he just didn't quit. So I don't know if it's a good thing or not because this means in 2023, I'm going to have to keep taking the ferry and I keep having to put my body under a lot of pain, <laughs> um, keep having to drag my ass to the gym But I'm also very grateful that I have someone who inspires me to not quit. So thank you very much, my dance partner. So now looking to the fun stuff, I have a long wish list of things that I want in 2023. More tea, chocolates, more flowers, books, probably from the library instead of buying them. I would like to have more interesting discussions with my friends about art and philosophy and literature, movies, shows, more travels. I want to see more countries and more cities. I want to make more blogs, podcasts, more journal spreads. I want to take more classes, no matter what it is. And again, not restricting myself to anything. Probably more dancing, boxing, krav maga. I would also like to have more sleep as well, as that is something I need to tell myself to do. (laughs) If I could break the cycle of sleeping at 2am, I would love to, but I don't think that's how my body works. So, in the meantime, I'll just try to get myself enough sleep every night. And more going on the treadmill or the cross ramp to get my heart rate up. That's my wish list for 2023. On the completely opposite end, I also have a list of things that I'm going to stop buying and stop doing. (laughs) Number one is furniture and home decoration. This year, I think I really completed my humble apartment by getting a mirror, albeit a very cheap mirror that makes me look skinnier than I actually am. Not happy about that, but I do have a mirror now. And I also got a table for the area next to my door so I can put photos of my friends um, and my purse on the table instead of on the floor now. And I think that has mostly completed my apartment. So no more furniture. I'm also going to stop buying books because the library is awesome and I really want to keep using their services. No purses, especially high-end purses um i really liked this brand called agner munich and i wanted to get one in bangkok and then luckily we were too busy just traveling and sightseeing so i didn't have a chance to buy it which turned out for the best because i do not need to spend my own this. i also don't want to buy anything that i can't see on myself so this refers to things Mostly that I put on my face because once it's on your face, you can't see it unless you have a mirror. So I'm talking about like lipstick, earrings, any hair decoration. I mean, this is all excluding competition day. Competition is about what people look at you, not about what I look at myself. So that's an exception, but I will very much limit myself on things that I can't see. I will also stop buying meal prep subscription the years of doing good food hello fresh and chef's plate has really made me more confident as a cook so i'm grateful for that and now i'm ready to just make my own creations no matter how terrible and <laughs> how weird they are but i am fully committed to being creative in the kitchen uh, i wouldn't say no for the next item but i will try to limit is alcohol. I'm not a big drinker to begin with, um, but I did have a few good cocktails in Phuket, so I won't say completely no to them, but I will not be buying any alcohol. Electronics. So this year I have really upgraded my life by buying myself a new laptop, new phone, and now I have way more than I need. I'm grateful for what I have though, because if it wasn't for this computer, I wouldn't have been able to do vlogs if it's not for my new phone. I wouldn't have been able to record better videos and take better photos for the vlogs. So it all works out. But now I have a home laptop and a work laptop, my new phone and my old phone that still works, my earphone and my earbud, also my tablet. So I think I have more than enough. I just hope nothing breaks and I don't have to replace anything next year. I will also stop buying shirts because I have way too many. I picked up a bunch at the Aritzia warehouse sale because my sister worked there and now I have more than I need. Also, no more underwear. last year I needed a bit more because I was working out and sweating a lot on my clothes. So I needed sometimes like two sets of underwear and shirts in one day, but now I have enough, and so I will free up my budget for other things. With that, dear future self, I hope you remember what a great year you've had in 2022, and what a great 30 years have passed in your life. I hope you look back at this time and remember the good times, the good memories, but also some of the struggles and some of the low points that you've been able to overcome i hope you do a letter to your past self at some point